0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Jacob Smith, and I am our college teaching pastor here at Anderson, uh, and it is my honor and privilege to be with you this morning. It's always super fun to, to come and to join with you, especially on these combined Sundays. Uh, we have just a lot of excitement, and, and we're, we're pumped every single week when, when we're looking ahead at these, as we announce it across the street, everyone just loses their minds, they run around, they start punching walls, it gets crazy, because we just love being with y'all. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things that we love is, is the, that we get to step into, essentially, what we're all learning together. And we're, lock, we're walking through, if you've been here over the last few weeks in, in our family service, you know that we've been walking through the book of Philippians. And we've been looking at this letter that, that was written to believers as an encouragement. A, a letter that was written to these believers, to this, this church in Philippi, encouraging them to follow the example of Christ in leading lives that, that are poured out for the sake of others to be outward focused, to see the needs of the people around them and to, to, to follow in the steps of Christ, to live sacrificially, to pour themselves out for others' sake. It's an opportunity for us to live in essentially a new identity. And you see, any time that we adopt a new identity, what happens is that identity will carry with it new instincts. Right, Every new identity brings with itself new instincts. When I became a husband, right, that was an identity that I adopted about nine years ago. There's proof... I know. Our one and only kiss. That was it. Uh, but we, when we got married, when I became a husband about nine years ago, that was a new identity. And that changed my instinct. Suddenly, when I was looking at meal prep, right, I, I distinctly remember thinking about like eating and food. I mean, that's generally what I think about day-to-day and in the, when I became a husband I realized that I no longer looked at meal planning for just me right when I thought about food I had this new instinct to plan for two people I realized wow I can't just eat a bag of frozen pasta anymore right I need two bags of frozen pasta right and then my wife developed in me a new instinct to realize no bags of frozen pasta that is actually the best number zero uh Eventually, I became a new, I adopted a new identity, I became a father. And when I adopted, I know, uh, right? When I became a father, I'll tell you, it was something that this new identity brought with it, these new instincts. I gained an instinct, first and foremost, to look out for dangers low to the ground, right? Like Suddenly, I had new eyes to see that my home was a death trap. Right for young children. Suddenly, I, I was walking around. I was, why we have exposed electrical outlets? Like, why Why do we have this? Like, I don't. I shouldn't trust adults with that, right? Like, I, I realized, oh my gosh, we have a glass vase on our floor. Like, what? Why do we have knives under our couch? Like, why are we doing these things and living in this dangerous way? When I adopted this new identity, suddenly I had brand new instincts and. Uh, Even before all of these things, I adopted an identity. I became an Aggie. Wow. Unplanned. No, that was... That was beautiful, right? Some of us, some of us had the instinct. I, when I hear that song, when I hear that hullabaloo, if someone just even, uh, I messed it up. But if someone does it, I know, I'll try again. Next service. Uh, But. When I hear those things, man, it it, just—I can't help. I got to stand. Some of us just—we just can't help it. We got to stand up. Why? Because that's an instinct that comes with that new identity. Suddenly, I realize, yeah, I do—I do dislike Texas University, even though I don't even play them in sports anymore. Yeah, that's right, (laughs) right. I'm going to hold on to that grudge for no reason. Why? Because. All right, new identities always carry with them new instincts. And so when we look this morning at what Paul's writing to the the church in Philippi, what we're going to see is he's addressing a new identity that they have. Because even though many instincts come very naturally with that new identity, the reality is that even as an Aggie, I'm having to learn new things. I'm still learning how to guard my heart during football season. I just have to guard it closely, right? Even though, I'm a husband, even though I'm a father and certain instincts are very natural, I'm still having to learn how to extend grace to my children without limits. That's still a struggle for me. Even though I'm a husband, I'm still learning how to love my wife well in every context. I'm still learning how to listen to her without any distraction. You see, even though some instincts come very quickly, others require intentional development. Which is really important because when we look at our instincts, when we look at our behavior, when we've adopted a new identity, what happens is that behavior reveals my intrinsic internal beliefs about that identity. And so if I don't re- sacrificially love my wife, right? if I fail in that regard, I- I'm still married, right? I'm still a husband, but I don't value my identity as I should. It it reveals, that behavior reveals a a low belief, a low value of my identity as husband to Susan. And so when Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, he tells them something very important. He says, you have this new identity, but here's what's going to happen. You need to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this is what we're centering on this morning. At the end of Philippians chapter 1, if you want to turn there, pull out a Bible, pull out your phone, whatever you've got, we're going to be looking at this idea of living in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, and when he says worthy, it, it's, it's not the, in the sense of, uh, oh, I, I perform these things, I, I turn in my report on time, therefore I am worthy of a raise or I'm worthy of some accolades at work. It, it's not like that. It's not that you're earning your salvation. Instead, it's it's an image of you representing your salvation. Literally, the term that's used in the Greek is Paul's bringing up the example of a scale. As if the gospel was on one side of that scale and your life was on the other. And do they balance out? That's what it means to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. It's a life that accurately represents the true value of what we receive. That's what we're talking about. Not earning salvation, but representing it. Because that's the beauty of our gospel. Right? That's what we prayed at the very beginning. That we don't have to earn the love of God. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life that we could not live on our own. That he died the death that we deserve because of our sin, because of our error. Jesus Christ, he paid that price for us. He took our sin upon himself and he was sacrificed. He was murdered on a cross. But when he rose from the grave three days later, he proved once and for all that that sin, that that burden, that those mistakes, that those failures, that that old identity is no longer true for us. That we don't have to be bound by those chains. We no longer have to be slaves of fear and death. He says, you can have new life in me. If we believe in who Jesus is and what he's done, If we call on his name, suddenly we find ourselves free from condemnation. We find ourselves free to live a new life with a new identity as no longer a child of wrath, but as an adopted son or daughter of the Lord Most High. That's our gospel. And that's not something that we earned. But Paul says, it is a gift you have been given that I want you to represent well. It's a value that I want you to communicate to the world around you through the way that you conduct yourself. The life that you live is a beautiful opportunity to present the gospel with the world around you. He says, I want you to have this lifestyle that is in unison with the gospel, this lifestyle that properly represents the the gospel, or a lifestyle that properly represents the gospel, a, a lifestyle that is in balance with the gospel that you've received, with the salvation that you've been given. And he's going to lay out through the end of this first chapter of Philippians. He's going to lay out these three key components, these three key characteristics or elements of a life that's worthy of the gospel. He says it's a life that's lived in, with consistency, in cooperation, and with confidence. He says this is how we move forward in this pursuit. This is how we represent the gospel with our lives. He says you've got to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are still standing firm. He says, I want to make sure that your life is consistent. And when you do that, it means that you're the same here as you are there, as you are there. In every single context, you're continuing to communicate the same message, you're continuing to show the same attributes. You're continuing to, to say the same thing about yourself, about others, and about Christ. Right? We, he Literally, the, the term that he uses in talking about this conduct is the word, the Greek term where we get the idea of politics. It's this idea of citizenship. It's the idea of living in a way that truly represents your ultimate allegiance, says, You should conduct yourself in this manner. It's something important to the church in Philippi because they were a colony. And, and some people were, were made citizens of Rome, even though they didn't live there, even though they were far away. They were allowed to be citizens of, uh, of the Roman Empire. And that meant a lot for them. That, that meant that they lived in a different way because they wanted to represent that identity. He says, That's who you are in Christ. You are now ultimately uh, aligning yourself. Your ultimate allegiance is not to some local governmental body. It says your ultimate allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. says so, so that you need to live in such a way that you are consistently representing that citizenship. You're consistently representing that lifestyle, that conduct. Says, I want you to live in this way because when we live with consistency, what it does is it represents our gospel's perfect faithfulness. When we live consistently, what people see through us is a gospel that is faithful, that's faithful to love, that's faithful to forgive, that's faithful to, to pour out grace upon grace with mercy new every morning. Jonah. Mommy and Daddy have something very important to tell you. What? We're very sorry, but last night we ate all of your candy. We ate it all. Are you upset? I don't want I don't want you. you want? I still want. You. You still love me? Oh, baby, you're the best girl. You know what? We're just joking. Yeah? Yeah. We didn't eat it all. We didn't eat any. Oh. <gasps> it's can awesome. Oh, baby, you're the best girl. That consistency is powerful, right? Sitting on the couch with your sippy cup. We've been there. We've had that moment. Where we're at a crossroads where we've said maybe to the loved one, we've said I love you in so many different ways and so at so many different times. And yet we come to a moment where they've done something that's hurt us, that's offended us. And we choose in that moment am I gonna be consistent? Am I gonna continue to pour out grace upon grace? Am I gonna have new mercy every day? Am I gonna continue to forgive as I've been forgiven? We have that coworker, we have that roommate, we have that friend, we have that family member where we reach points, where we get to choose, am I going to be consistent? Am I going to love you well? Am I going to forgive you freely? Am I going to move into this moment and step into the situation with the consistency that God has shown me? Am I going to forgive as I've been forgiven? Am I going to live in a way that reflects the faithfulness of my gospel? And our lives have a power to do this beyond anything else in this world. When, When Paul's writing to another church, in Corinth. He says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. He's talking about, he's referring to this idea that back in those days, Jewish uh, scribes and Pharisees, a lot of times these Jewish religious leaders, they would carry with themselves letters of commendation. They would have these kind of reference letters that they would carry with them. If anyone ever doubted their ability or or their right to stand up in the synagogue and and teach, they they would have this letter to just pull out and show and prove it. Like, oh, no, I got it, right? They got the badge. It's got a little... Uh, star david or something i don't know they had something that they would show people like no i i'm i'm legit and when paul's writing to the church in corinth he says something revolutionary he says i don't need a letter of recommendation i i don't need this badge that i can flash around he says you are my letter and he's not talking about them being necessarily even a commendation of Paul himself. It's a commendation of the message that he delivered. It's a commendation of the gospel. He says, you are a letter that communicates to everyone the value of our gospel. Your behavior opens up an opportunity. It opens a window to share your belief. It is the way that you live, it, it, the, 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 the life that you lead. Man, it trumps, it, it beats any written literature any day. Right? The greatest statement, the greatest message, the greatest podcast, the greatest sermon, the, the best book will never be able to compete with the life that you live in terms of being a, an accurate, powerful, authentic witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a high calling. A large responsibility that's given to every believer, everyone who's trusted in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They are now representatives and witnesses. They are citizens of heaven who are called to live in a manner that's worthy of the gift they've received. And I, I find that many times what happens is we don't intentionally decide to not do that. Right, a lot of times, we don't necessarily decide, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to live uh, in this way. I think a lot of times what happens is we take these small little compromises. And over time, we wind up deviating way more than we ever thought we would. And we wake up and we think, well, how, did, how did I get to this point? My wife and I have been going through this incredible ministry here at Grace called Reengage. And it's an opportunity for married couples to, to just gather for the course, over the course of a semester on a weekly basis in a small group of peers and, and talk about marriage, talk about the relationships, and talk about the things that pop up, the joys and the sorrows, the, the, the triumphs and the struggles. And as we've been walking through this over the last six weeks... I'll tell you what's been so incredible is that we've been forced through this course, through this class, to, to, to have these intentional conversations about our relationship, about uh, our, our marriage, about our kids, about the way that we interact with each other, our emotions, the way we feel. And, and it's something that I realized a few weeks in, I just kind of had this moment of clarity of realizing, uh, when did we stop doing this? Because suddenly we were sharing how we felt about things. We were being open and honest and vulnerable in ways that we just simply hadn't in recent memory. And it was something, though, that I know we used to do. We used to love having long conversations, we used to love to, to spend that time and, and really dig deep into how we're feeling and where we're going. And yet what I realized as we were being forced into those situations, forced into those practices through the class, I realized, man, we've, we have lost sight of this. I've led poorly in this area. And it wasn't an intentional decision. It was simply lots of little distractions that popped up along the way. And even though we were lockstep, man, over time, that slight early deviation just led us to a point where I stopped and said, how do we get here? And I'm so grateful for our marriage ministry, I'm so grateful for the work of the Lord to put us in that group, to have those conversations, to recenter ourselves. And man, this is, this is where health is found. This is where joy is found in our marriage. It's not easy, but it's good. And so maybe some of us need to take a moment and and look for opportunities this week of, man, how am I going to recenter myself on living in a way that represents Christ and the gospel that I've received, how, how can I find these moments to basically just bring myself back to what I know is true? This conduct that I know is good. That might not be easy, but it's good. I mean, if you're looking for something simple, I would encourage you to just consider serving in our church body on Sunday mornings. Very simple, very straightforward something you can jump into, something that, that you could do once or twice a month, that you could simply put yourself out there and say, you know what? I'm gonna intentionally put myself in a situation where I have to be stretched, where I have to uh, serve outside of myself, where I have to kind of live in this way that I know I'm called to live, sacrificially for the sake of others. If you wanna serve in our family service, I would encourage you, after the service, find anyone with a lanyard around their neck and they will connect you. They will tell you how to serve in a family service Moving forward this semester, if you're a student and you normally attend our college service, go to this website, go to that bit.ly, fill out a quick little survey and, and, and serve with us once or twice a month. And not that that's the, the, the end all be all or that's the perfect way to realign yourself with Christ, but it's simply one opportunity to have a moment where you're realigning, where you're saying, okay, this is, yeah, this is how I'm called to live. Not just on Sunday mornings, this is how I'm called to live every day of every week. Loving, well, sacrificing, often, forgiving, freely. Paul says, I want you to live this life that's consistent, but I know it's difficult. And so as you live this consistent life, what you're going to need is you're going to need to intentionally develop another element of your conduct. I should hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says, if you're going to live with consistency, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to cooperate with the people around you. You're going to need to unite with the body of local believers. He says, you're going to need to strive together. And the word that he's using in the Greek is, is literally saying you're striving together as athletes. It's an athletic idea, an illustration that he's using saying that the same way that a team is united, right? In the same mind, same spirit, same goal, same direction. He says that's how you should be with the believers around you because you're going to need each other. Sometimes more clearly than others. You will need the, the strength and encouragement of one another as you move forward in this goal of living a life that's worthy of the gospel. There's uh, an athlete uh, in our day and age, a modern athlete, his name is Lex Gillette. And Lex Gillette Looks like a superhero, and I love it. And he looks like a superhero because he's got this cool visor thing. on. I mean, he's got a lot going on, superhero-wise. But the visor thing kind of seals it. He looks like the Frozone guy from Incredibles. I know, I know. So he, but what's incredible about Lex Gillette is Lex Gillette, he lost his vision or his ability to see when he was eight years old. And he is still, though, the current world champion in long jump. Which doesn't seem, that doesn't seem like a thing that should overlap, right? Like losing your vision and, and being the long jump, like any sort of track and field champion, world champion doesn't seem like that should mix. And yet Lex is doing that. And he's won all these events, all these uh, Paralympic uh, events and medals and all this stuff. And he's a motivational speaker. And if you go to his website, I, I love it. His taglines, he says, there's no need for sight when you have a vision. And I'm like, Lex, it's good. <laughs> Right? Everyone's like, yes, I need that for my next board meeting, right? That's good. And I'll tell you, Lex only got to where he is, though, and he will freely say he didn't get to where he is just completely on his own. His mom was also legally blind, not as... not. Fully visually impaired like Lexus, but she was, vi- she was legally blind. And so she was a big part of, of working with him, of helping him see that, hey, there's still so much that you can be involved in. There, there are still so many ways that you could compete athletically. Something he was passionate about before he lost his sight doesn't mean you can still be in that. And when he stepped into that arena, he had people that came alongside of him and helped him to a point where he still has a guide that helps him with that long jump. And what happens is he describes it as he says, This guy, my my long jump guide, his job is basically to be as loud as he can. He's there for safety, letting me know where everything is, trying to paint a mental image for me so I'll feel comfortable and know where I am at all times. So he'll come down to where our starting point is and he'll set me up. He'll make sure that I'm facing the correct way. Then he'll run down to the opposite end and he'll start clapping. And as long as everything is good, I look good down the runway, he continues to yell and clap at me, right? Affirming that I'm on the right track. And if something doesn't look right, he'll tell me to stop and we'll go back and we'll regroup. Lex is reliant upon the work of other people to, to help him succeed in where he's striving. Paul says, this is the reality of who we are. This is our need. To strive together as athletes, side by side, moving in the same direction. Because when we live in cooperation like this, right? When we're united in, in spirit and mind and direction, right? He says that it's, it's the way that you feel. It's the way that you think. It's the direction you're moving. He says that that's the moment. That's the situation where you are able to represent then our gospel's perfect reconciliation. What a beautiful picture of the God who loves to reconcile, who loves unity in the midst of diversity. Our God says, I want to bring all, tr- all tongues, all tribes, all nations, all people to, to me. God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. See, Paul is pointing out when we live in cooperation with one another, what happens is we represent our gospel. We represent the reconciliation that's found through Christ. The unity we can find with the Lord and also with each other. And it's, it's difficult though. Right? This is still difficult. It, because I think primarily, I mean there's a lot of reasons that unity is hard. One of them I think is it's exhausting. Because it's a lifelong struggle. Either because new people are popping into your life or because the, some people just won't pop out. And that can be really hard. It can be exhausting to seek perseverance, to, to, to try to be unified despite just natural divisions in your personality or your passions or your perspectives. And they're divisions where it's not even necessarily one of you is right and one of you is wrong. You're just different. And so seeking unity in that, striving forward in that is really difficult. But what I've found for me personally is that the way that I can make steps towards finding that unity is not by just like deciding to do it or set a reminder on my phone. I'll tell you what really helps align my heart and unite me with the people around me that it's hard for me to otherwise unify with is I pray for them. I commit myself to pray for these people. Christ tells us that we should be praying for our enemies. How much more so should we be praying for our fellow believers, for our brothers and sisters, for these teammates, for the people that are sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you? How much more so should we go before the Lord and ask him to bring that unity to pray for these people, for their walks, for their lives, for their mindsets that maybe we don't like, but... But man, we hope that that passion carries them forward to be wonderful representatives of the gospel. Again, it's 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 hard. It's another thing where I, again personally, find it. It's helpful for me to just force myself into situations where I have to shift my mindset. I force myself into moments where I'm like, okay, like this is it, like I just have to intentionally develop this instinct in, a, in a, an environment that's not natural for me. In a couple of weeks, we have uh, our first of, of a few of what we call work projects. As a college ministry, we send so many people. I mean, as a church body, we send so many missionaries overseas to so many places. It's incredible. And in our college ministry, we send students every winter and every summer to, to other college campuses all around the world because we don't want to just help students find and follow Jesus at Texas A&M and Blinn and We want to help students find and follow Jesus on every campus around this entire earth. And so when we are sending these students, what happens is they're raising support, but sometimes there's a little bit of gap. Sometimes they need a little bit of assistance. And so what we do is we set up work projects and we allow, we we provide this opportunity for students in our midst to, to come together and to serve, even though they might not be able to send their friends financially. They can Put in some time. Put in some effort. And, and find and, and raise that support. And, and then send them with that. And so I, I would encourage you, if you're a student, in two Saturdays, on the 13th, man, we're going to have our work project where we serve on a Saturday morning local people, local families from our body. If you're a family and you're like, man, I got this fence and that gate won't close and I'm about to lose my mind. <laughs> believe me, I'm there with you. And also... You can sign up. Go to this web address. Go to this bit.ly. And it will direct you to our website. It will give you the information about the event. It will give you information about how to sign up, either as a student or as a family. Whether you can serve or whether you have a need that, that needs to be met. And what it does is it forces us into a moment as students to say, okay, I'm going to live in this way. Sacrifice. I'm going to cooperate with people that, that don't necessarily look like me, that, that have needs that are different from mine. They have like four kids. And I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Like, I, what? Like that's, that's foreign. And yet we can find unity in that. It, it helps us as families to, to not just have needs met, but to, to give financially and also to connect with those students. When they come to your house, you can welcome them in. You can provide a little bit of breakfast, or you can just get to know them, work alongside of them. Strive together as teammates, recognizing that, man, as we move forward in this way, as we build these relationships, as we move forward in unity, what we do is we're representing the gospel and the reconciliation that's found through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want you to live in this way of cooperating and moving forward. He says, and what can motivate you is that as you move forward, you're not just sharing the same Savior. He says, you're also sharing the same confidence, the same hope. You're contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. And you're not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. And this is really hard because it's easy for us as people to be intimidated by things in this world. It is easy for us to, to be fearful, to be anxious, to have something pop up that simply leaves us running scared. So, would your dog come to your defense if a burglar ever broke in? This is Perry, a five-year-old yellow lab. Oh, that's my good girl. Her owner, Michelle Kelleher, loves her dog. But she wonders whether Perry will go the extra yard. I hope she tries to protect me. To find out, we enlisted guard dog experts Nate Bonilla and Michael DeBruzzo. Then, with Michelle's permission, our burglar bursts in. Michelle puts on a great performance as he pretends to assault her. She screams for Perry. Perry! So what does Perry do? Does she jump in to save her? Look, she heads for the door. Michelle is left alone to defend herself. This is called flight. Her tail is tucked. She's actually looking for a way out. Thanks, (laughs) Perry. Yeah. Thanks, Perry. (laughs) Guess all those mouth licks aren't even worth it. We find ourselves in that Perry moment, intimidated by things in this world. It's just simply the state of, of our existence. It's the reality of where we are if we really are honest with ourselves and take a moment and ask me, what what intimidates me? Things will come into our minds. Stuff pops up. I mean, I, I just think about the, the, the intimidation that comes when, in thinking about maybe your future, about your finances, about your earning potential, your retirement. You, you're thinking about, me. am I going to be providing for myself or, or providing for my family? Maybe it's the responsibility of your work or your relationships or, or, or this organization you're involved in. Maybe it's the, the responsibilities that have been kind of given to you or that you've taken on for yourself. And it can be Intimidating. And we can feel overwhelmed. And maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's someone we know is sick. Maybe our health is failing. And when we look at that, when we, when we really start to think through the process of how that's going to play out and the, the slow degradation of, of our bodies and this, this disease that, that we just can't shake or that someone else is just being torn apart by, I me mean, that that can be so intimidating. So much fear can arise in our hearts when we look ahead and we see aging parents. When we see kids that are not making the greatest decisions. We can be fearful and intimidated for ourselves and for others. And it's easy to find ourselves in those places. Which is why Paul is speaking to us. And he says, you've got to remember that you have a greater hope. That you have a higher confidence that the things of this world aren't your end. He says, because if you're able to stand firm in these things, it's a sign of your enemy's destruction, but of, it's of your salvation, right? Standing firm, it's this sign that's from God. And it's been granted to you, not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Him, since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face, and now here that I am facing. He says, literally, the Greek term is, he says, it has been given to you, it's the same word, it's, it's grace. Does it's, it's grace to you to not only believe in Christ. That's a gift that you've received that you're so thankful for. He says, guess what? There's another part of that gift, and it's to suffer. When Christ looked at his disciples, he didn't promise them uh, wonderful lives on this earth. Instead, he promised them that they would suffer, that they'd be persecuted, that they'd be rejected, that they would face hardship. And that's true of his disciples, that was true of Paul, that's true of everyone, right? This is the same conflict that that, that we all face as believers. It's a shared experience. And see, this is what's incredible, is that if we're able to walk through these moments, if we walk through these seasons, if we face these fears and yet stand firm, remembering that Christ tells us that he overcame this world, that there's nothing in this world that can overcome us, that there's no temptation that can defeat us because God always provides us a way out, that there's, there's no death here that, that's really truly our end. That when our bodies fail, that instead we don't, just, we don't just cease to exist, we instead get to walk into the newness of eternal life, united with our Father in heaven forever. He says, man, that's the hope that we have, that's the confidence that we've been given. And if we're able to center our minds on that, to remember this incredible promise, that confidence, it represents our gospel's incredible, perfect hope. And when we stand firm in the midst of that fear, if we stand firm against that enemy, against that intimidation, in that same pain that other other people experience, it it truly can be the grace of God. It truly can be a gift of the Lord. Because what happens is God can turn that pain into a platform. To proclaim his goodness. To demonstrate his glory. And our hope. I've been on staff at Grace for about 10 years now. And I've been preaching. Uh, I get to pop over in the main stage about half of that time. About the last five years. And I'll tell you, there's... Over those 10 years of of, of speaking pretty consistently week to week. Uh, there, uh, there is no other like sermon. There's no other message. There's no other, there's no other week... Uh, that I got more emails about, more like stopped in the hallway, more uh, running into people and talking to them uh, around town, more comments, more more phone calls than never before. Never since but about a year ago, we was one of our first combined Sundays, and when we were talking about forgiveness and talking about the, the, the faithfulness of God, uh, I had asked a couple students from our college ministry to come and just share about their lives and share about their experiences of seeing forgiveness play out. One of our students had seen uh, parents divorce and then yet reconcile and, and remarry. Another student hadn't gotten to see the, the beautiful conclusion of reconciliation, but she was seeing the, the need to forgive in the midst of a situation where there was no reconciliation, but that she could still choose to forgive. And I'm telling you, that week, that morning, sparked more phone calls, more, more emails, more stops in the hallway, more, more comments, more conversations after the service than anything else I've ever experienced. To the point where I was at HEB, like months later, checking out, and the guy was like, Hey, where you? It was a student, he was like, Hey, where, are you the college pastor at, or are you pastor at, at Grace? And I was like, Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of students... Go to H-E-B, either to make their money or to spend their money. And so I'm used to running into students at H-E-B. And I was like, yeah. Do you go to Grace? He's like, yeah. Sometimes I go to the family service. I remember because you introduced those students uh, that shared their testimonies, that talked about forgiveness. Do you know where they are? Like, what they're doing? Like, it was just the best moment to remember that ultimately I am so disposable. I am so... Anyone can come up and do this. Anyone. And, And... and God can speak because ultimately, man, it's the, the life change that occurs. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's trusting in his work, in his strength, and his power. And, and what's so amazing about moments like that is I see, man, it's the power of a testimony. It's the power of pain that's been walked through, that God graciously stepped into and transformed that pain into a platform to display his power, his grace, and our hope. Because they were willing to be bold and to share how God had moved in the midst of their intimidation, in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their pain, lives were changed. If we are truly aligned, moving forward with this revolutionary attitude, what it does is it changes the attention of people around us. They take notice. Walking through those struggles, it increases our empathy. It gives people a vision of what victory can look like. It can be an inspiration. And it changes their attention. If we walk forward in these lives that are representing the gospel, as we move forward, we can direct the attention of our world to Christ by living those lives that are consistent, that are cooperative, that are confident. It's a high calling. but It's a good one. This is what we're going to do. This morning... Barely have time. We're going to pray for each other. And I know that maybe some of us, we, we haven't done this before. We, this isn't a normative experience. Um, but what we're going to do is you're actually going to find a neighbor and you're going to take about three minutes to share really briefly with your neighbor, hey, this is where or how I can be a better representative of the gospel. And you can be as, as specific or vague as you want to be. That's totally fine. But, but you're going to grab a neighbor and say, hey, this is, this is kind of where or how I could be a better representative of the gospel. And, and maybe some of us need to just be honest and say, you know what? Um, I, actually, what I'm struggling with is not how to be representative, or it's whether or not I actually want to be a representative. It's actually whether or not I want to accept this gospel for myself. I, I would encourage you, this is, this is a place where, where you're, you, we want to know you, and we want to love you, and, and we are so glad you're here. And, and be open with that. Because what's going to happen is as you share really briefly with your neighbor is that then you're going to take just a couple minutes and you're going to pray for each other. You're going to pray that the Lord would move in that area, that he would give you the confidence to move forward, that he would unite you to cooperate with people in a supernatural way, that he would empower you through the work of his spirit to be consistent in every situation. So grab a neighbor, one or two people, share really briefly, and begin to pray for each other. I'll wrap us back up here in a moment. Lord God, we thank you that you've given us this morning as an opportunity to to come together, Lord, and to pray for each other. Lord, to to unite in the same mind with the same spirit, moving side by side in the same direction, Lord, to to know you and to make you known. And so, God, I I pray that these prayers would continue beyond these walls, beyond this moment. That God, that we would grab the, the contact information of these people that we've been praying with, that we would continue to pray for them, that we would continue to encourage them and cooperate with them, that we would reflect and represent your gospel through our relationship with one another. So God, we pray that, that you would move us all forward in, in this high calling. Lord, to live as your representatives. God, we're, we're gonna sing this, this final beautiful song about, about being moved by, by your word, by, by going forward where, where you direct us. God, we see your power and authority displayed in so many aspects of this world. And Lord, we just wanna be another one of those aspects. Lord, as the wind moves you're calling, Lord, we, we want to be just like that. God, as the, as, the, as the rocks who we even cry out and worship, Lord, we, we want to be a part of that. Lord, we want to reflect your glory the way the stars do in our sky. If you would, just as we move into worship, take a moment of stillness, just right now, just a few seconds, to ask the Lord to really focus in your heart and your mind, your, your attention and your affections on who he is and on where he's calling you to be. God, we thank you for that truth. That you see us. That you know us. That you love us. That that you've adopted so many of us into your family. as your sons and daughters. And that, God, you're calling us to this life that reflects with accuracy the value of what we've received. So, God, send us out as people ready to do that. Pray these things in your will, God. Amen. All right. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.